This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Episode 411 of the Yellow World Pod. I'm your host, Stefan Botsko, and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's inglorious exit from the Europa League <laughs> and, of course, what we can expect from the remaining Bundesliga games. And we will, on top of that, answer some listener questions. For all that and more, joins me, Matthias Zug. Hello, Matthias. I'm glad we're finally back. Um, you've been away from the United States for, what was it, four weeks? And uh, I have struggled to find any time to record a podcast. Either it was uh, time constraints because I've been busy working or uh, most recently, like Archie, I had a stomach bug and I was hu hugging the toilet when we were supposed to record. Or, uh, quite frankly, it was the war in Ukraine um, because when that started, uh, yeah, I didn't really feel like talking about football or anything so uh please understand that i just didn't have the mindset to even you know care so uh with that all being said matthias uh, how are you doing <laughs> i am doing all things considered quite well i mean after a month gone being back i've uh, been been battling the uh not the stomach bug thank god done that that is yeah i yikes uh, but just jet lag, but I'm okay. I've got a very, very large travel mug of coffee next to me right now for very <laughs> good reasons. But yes, Europa League, that was, well, it happened. I'm not going to say that was fun. And then, of course, uh, a match that didn't happen, that will now happen, that we're going to talk about, I guess, and the Bielefeld game. So yeah, actually a few yeah. things to talk about. Yeah, but before we do that, we do have a sponsor for this episode, or actually two sponsors. Wir sind komplett schuldenfrei, wir zahlen keinen einzigen Euro an Zinsen. And this episode is sponsored by Jordan Hunt, uh, and he wants us to give a shout out to at InvisibleWall09. If you haven't heard of them, uh, stay tuned because we will have Jan uh, on in the coming week or weeks or so to talk about this project. But uh, yeah, he wants us to tell you, dear listeners, uh, that uh, they have given him help throughout the year so far and that he has struggled uh, with mental health. And, uh, you know, I can also, you know, tell you if you want to, uh, you know, maybe reach out to, to Jordan himself, uh, then, uh, yeah, he would appreciate that as well and uh, says that he would be available. Uh, it's uh, hunt underscore 1909. So, um, yeah, give him a a chat or something if you feel like you're struggling with mental health and just want someone else to talk about it or you know just ask the guys at invisible wall they're doing really great work and we're also sponsored by daniel kling who wants to give a shout out to his newborn son henry who was born on new year's eve so congrats to daniel and his wife and we hope that henry will witness many dortmund title celebrations in his life um, Matthias, these are, I think, a bit more positive news before we now have to talk about uh, Dortmund boring out of the Europa League. Um, 
I must admit, I I hardly remember the game because it it was very forgettable. Um, maybe Dortmund's fate could have been different had Erling Haaland featured in it. I'm not entirely sure, but um, yeah. What do you remember from this game or from the two legs in in general? And uh, yeah, what's your conclusion from that? Well, before I get into that, I also want to say congratulations on a newborn son. That's absolutely awesome. And yes, if you are struggling with mental health, please reach out. The uh, Speaking out of my own experiences, the darkness of depression can sneak up on you. And when it does, it's a bitch. So uh, tackle that head on. And don't just because, especially as men, just because we're men doesn't mean we can't talk about our feelings. So now let me talk about these feelings. Um, <laughs> I was just, I was going to yeah, say, this is the perfect segue. Exactly. Um, I mean, I, I wasn't able to watch it live. I had to, had to, like had to, that's, that's a hard formulation. Having known <laughs> how they ended, I watched the games afterwards. Uh, so all my sadness was already gone, but not my uh, fury. It, you know, Rangers deserve to advance I think uh, that's without a doubt but also because I couldn't believe what I watched because Dortmund I mean the the word I can use best to summarize Dortmund in those two games was naive it was just naive you know I mean Dortmund statistically dominated most categories um, if I remember correctly shots possession passing everything but obviously not the key ones, which are, you know, own goals um, and, and just goals in general. And that, you know, if you theoretically, statistically dominate an opponent and then you lose and afterwards you say kind of deservedly, to me that shows you were naive. You were naive in your buildup. You were naive in how you played. You are definitely naive in your defending. And um, my... Many years of questioning people like Zagadou were unfortunately once again confirmed. And so, you know, it's kind of one of those, I don't even know if the players really wanted the Europa League. It was frustrating. You could tell it was frustrating for Marco Rosa because there's only so much you can do as a coach, right? I mean, when players make boneheaded mistakes, you can't actually go out there and defend for them. And these are old enough players that the mistakes they have in them, you can't coach out of them in a short period of time. I mean, we think to even a brilliant coach like Guardiola, his first season at Manchester City was not good. And it took a full season and changing a lot of players to get his style and get players improved. And it actually took more than one season and really took a couple three, but, and Marco Rosa is not Pep Guardiola. So it, it's that, that's really what bothered me. It wasn't necessarily that you lost. It wasn't necessarily that you lost to Rangers, even though I'm not a Rangers fan by any chance. Some, I mean, there's obviously some shared history there with players going there. Stefan Klos is an example. I wanted to say Christian Nerlinger also played at Rangers, but be that as it may, just this style of exit I could accept the loss to Ajax much better because Ajax just dominated 
and push their will on Dortmund in the first leg. Second leg, we could, you know, that's a, or second game, that's a different story. But this was just naive and schizophrenic, especially when you then juxtapose it with uh, Dortmund destroying the likes of Gladbach. So I just, I didn't even know what to make of it. Yeah, I think I'm honestly disappointed. Uh, mostly just because I'm looking with one eye on uh, how much fun Eintracht Frankfurt are having. I think they just beat Betis Sevilla or so 2-1 in the Europa League in Sevilla. And, uh, you know, just what a fantastic time they're having. And, uh, you know, obviously it's not Champions League and uh, Dortmund, you know, had a great quarterfinal just the season before against Manchester City where, uh, you know... There were a couple of dodgy refereeing decisions. Uh, maybe we could have even... I don't know if we could have advanced, but at least uh, I thought Dortmund were very competitive. And going from, from that feeling um, to now losing in the, the way they did against Rangers is just very hard to take, I must say. I'm really annoyed um, by the way this whole thing unfolded. And uh, yeah, it's it's also annoying that I felt that Dortmund over the years have managed to become a relatively mature European team, as in that they would cut out these naive errors. Obviously, this Champions League campaign didn't really quite <laughs> uh, justify this opinion, but um, yeah, still, I feel like against a side like Rangers, you don't have to do much to progress as in you need to avoid mistakes and that should be most of it. Um, because Dortmund are always good enough for a goal or two. So, um, yeah, I think in the first leg, the um, the penalty that Zagadou conceded was obviously harebrained. <laughs> you know, there's no, no other way to talk about it. And... Uh, yeah, also just in, in general, the, the, the lack of resoluteness when Dortmund defend and close down opponents or just basically close them down them, but just stop shy of actually making a tackle or anything. It's just infuriating. And uh, yeah, the other Zagadou on goal was, I guess, more of an unlucky deflection. But, uh, you know, in the, in the second, I, I feel like the, the, the story was pretty similar as in that Dortmund were in firm control of both games up until they made the mistake and, and let Rangers score a penalty. I, I mean, the the first corner penalty from Zagadou was really a goal out of nothing, and then you concede three minutes later because Dortmund, of course, collapse. You know, they can't, they can't just concede one silly goal. No, they then need to turn around and concede another one, because why not? And... Uh, yeah, that's very annoying. Uh, the other part, obviously, then in, in the second leg, you know, I think Dortmund played very dominant. Had a couple of good scoring chances, didn't take them. And then um, Julian Brandt with such a really moronic tackle where the opponent is trying to leave the box. And, you know, obviously it's Julian Brandt. This guy does not know how to tackle someone. He is hardly ever close enough to his opponent to even get his leg in the vicinity of the ball, let alone the opponent. So uh, that he now attempted it in his own box is just unfortunate. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm still very annoyed about that. And Dortmund, I mean, they did come back. You know, they scored two goals at halftime and they basically just needed one more 
in the entirety of the second half um, to at least force overtime. But of course, uh, you know, how could that happen? Rangers switched to a back five and all of a sudden Borussia Dortmund did not have the tactical tools at hand to unlock such a rigid defense by Rangers. Oh God, what can we do? The opponent is playing with a different system. Oh no, all our plans are in the bin. So, um, yeah, very annoyed by that, I must say. And uh, to top it all off, that we then conceded uh, this really ridiculous goal where I think Mats Hummels, like, slices the ball to the opponent or outright misses it. I don't even remember how exactly it happened. But, um, yeah, if if you can't even rely on, on Hummels, uh, then, uh, yeah, things are not in a great shape, Matthias. And thus uh, concludes my Europa League uh, <laughs> rant because I'm just I'm just really annoyed and I don't want to talk about it anymore other than saying that I really hope that the next time Dortmund show their face on the Europe, European stage it's at least not as embarrassing that'd be a good start if we lose that it's you know with our faces held high and just don't embarrass ourselves I agree I mean think back um, last calendar year uh, the Manchester City tie in the Champions League. I mean, Dortmund played very well against uh, one of the best teams in the world and lost, but that's okay. You know, I mean, it happens. Uh, this sporting, you know, these are just games where you're like, really? Like, these are these are opponents that even the last few years, Dortmund would have just, br- not brushed aside, but it wouldn't have been concerning. It wouldn't have lost, um, but uh, they did, um, you know, and so anyway, I mean, the season now is really down to league, uh, which can have its advantages, of course. You're playing less matches than some of the teams right around you, and that can benefit Dortmund as far as solidifying second place, which it's looking odds on favorite that Dortmund will at least be second. And so... <laughs> at least. I mean, at least. I mean, they, I like where this is going. Well, of course. I mean, a victory against Mainz, and it's four points. I mean, there's always still that chance. And you can't forget, um, Bayern are playing more matches. Uh, not in the DFB Pokal, <laughs> uh, at least. But uh, <laughs> definitely in the Champions League. So there's still that component. Plus, I saw reports that Lewandowski had to break off training today. So there's always hope. It's a little boo on his knee. <laughs> um, but be that as it may, you know, you finish in second, which was, you know, kind of the expectation and the hope and so on. And you're in the Champions League again next season. That you know that was that's the the massive goal, really. And so, from that perspective, nothing's really changed. It, I'm annoyed because in the DFB Pokal and uh, the Europa League, those are tournaments that Dortmund would have, should have been favorites to at least compete for the title. As things are in the DFB Pokal, the path is paved for you know the the franchise. And so that that really <laughs> bugs me. Europa League, I whatever. Um, but when it comes to uh, credit, they're still in that too, actually, now that I think about it. But in the DFB Pokai, you know, I mean, I guess there's still hope <laughs> for for the likes of 
you know, HSV or Freiburg or Union to do it, but uh, odds are not in their favor. So that's beyond Dortmund winning a title. Uh, having you know who win it uh, would yeah. be re- would just make it even worse. It's true. It's it's very true. But uh, yeah, this is the reality of this season. But uh, you know, if Dortmund win a championship, I think we can gloss over that. You know. <laughs> yeah, think. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I I don't know how how serious I want to get, but <laughs> I feel like just before the Bielefeld game, I've talked myself into. Basically, uh, no. What? Why? Why? Uh, why give hope up on the championship? Even though uh, we have done it many a times before. But if you think about it, it's you know, all, all you need to do is clap Bielefeld, and then you you should prevail against the COVID-stricken minds, and then yeah, okay, then probably lose against Cologne. But um, no, then it's just four points, and uh, you have nothing else to do midweek. And uh, can actually prepare for the games. And maybe, just maybe, you continue winning. I mean, Dortmund have done it this season that uh, despite not playing their best football, they've come away with results. So uh, we have nothing else to do. You know, either it's dreaming about the title or just, you know, pondering next season because there's nothing really in between if you... If you look at the table right now, uh, we have 53 points and uh, in fifth or sixth place are Freiburg with 44. That's a nine-point difference, which I don't think any of these teams really will make up. And Leipzig in fourth place also have 44. So again, um, I think Dortmund should be fine whether they finish second, third or fourth at the end of the day. Doesn't matter too much to me. Obviously, you do want to finish ahead of Leverkusen and Leipzig just for aesthetical reasons because they suck and are terrible so um they're set but uh yeah obviously the the name of the game here is try to enjoy the rest of the season as much as you possibly can you know hope that Dortmund managed to play some attractive football here and there and have some nice wins you know I'm I'm eyeing for example the home game against Leipzig you know it'd be really sweet to get another win against a high profile team you know, maybe even make the away trip to Munich interesting. Who knows? Um, so, yeah, w- why not? And uh, truth be told, the, the last three games, if push comes to shove, I think Dortmund are in the lead by then. Then uh, they should win those three games outright. You know, they did manage to do that uh, in the Hinrunde, but who knows, Matthias? There's always some... Uh, uh, some hope, especially because of the lack of uh, European football and Marco Rosa actually getting some time on the training ground and maybe, just maybe, uh, Erling Haaland and Gio Reyna uh, return to some level of fitness and, and rhythm um, that we can, uh, yeah, you know, have their services for the remaining, what is it, 10 games or 9 games now, I think. So... Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that. So in in that context, um, it's obviously a shame that Dortmund uh didn't get all three points away to Augsburg. The uh, really nice solo goal by Torgen Hazard was not enough because uh yeah it was some skirmish in in our own box and uh, Augsburg, you know, were lucky to score. But then again, uh, I don't think Dortmund even had any. Uh, reason to be unhappy with that point because I think the expected goals were 0.9 uh, 
for Augsburg to 0.5 to Dortmund. So that really says uh, a lot about Dortmund's uh, attacking output in that game. Just wasn't a, a really good game. Not good to watch, not anything. I mean, it's an away game to Augsburg. So I, I feel like, unless you want to say anything about the Augsburg game, we can go straight to the Bielefeld game. No, I think we can move on. But I I don't want to scare you, Stefan. And I don't want to scare our listeners, especially those that tend to dump on the supposed team that they supposedly support on Twitter. But if Dortmund beat Mainz, they are the best team of the Rückrunde. And that is interesting. (laughs) I'll be honest. (laughs) When I saw that, you know, you can kind of see it when you look uh, like on the Kika app or whatever, and you're scrolling through the the table. And then below that, it shows, you know, home table, away table, Hinrunde, Rückrunde. And I looked at Rückrunde and I'm like, wait, what? Huh. Didn't see that one coming uh, because it's just been a little bit Jekyll and Hyde. But at the same time, um, even in the poor performance games, like you mentioned, somehow Dortmund have won those this season. I mean, Not just look at the Hoffenheim yeah. game. We had Hoffenheim? no business of no. getting anything no. from that game. No. Maybe a point. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, I think a point. Yeah, I think a, a draw point. would have yeah. been fair. But not a victory. Um, and as such, you look at that and you go, okay, yeah, I mean, there's a chance. I mean, for me, as an eternal optimist and <laughs> a fan of Borussia Dortmund, where this isn't Leverkusen, okay? I mean, if I was a Leverkusen fan for my whole life, yeah, of course I'd be like, there's no way they're going to win, even if you have 20 points lead at the top of the table. But Dortmund have won titles. Uh, They have come back from adversity, even within matches themselves. So even this team right now, as it is this season, has come back quite a few times. And has gotten... Like we did in Frankfurt. Yeah, you know, getting points from a losing position. They're actually one of the best teams in the Bundesliga. And so why not have hope? I don't understand. I mean, I I saw somebody tweet, you know, just before we came on air or on air. Wow, like we're a live show. You know what I mean? Before we hit the... <laughs> it's rec- live on tape. Before yes. we recorded it. Wow, <laughs> jet lag, man. You know, it's about Roman Bürki maybe going to the MLS. And, you know, the tweet was, well, we'll see how this one falls through. Like, why immediately sandbag it with that kind of shithouse mentality? It just, it bothers me to my core. And as such, I'm a fan of a team and I'm going to believe they're going to win until they can't win. And um, hopefully Dortmund get it done. If they don't and they finish second, so be it. Uh, but if somehow they get it and they get a Tazic-like run for the last, you know, two, three months of the season, it's absolutely possible. And so why not stay optimistic and not always fall into these negative tropes that somehow people just love, love to wallow in? Yeah, I think I think that's uh, the right attitude. We can always uh, complain and bemoan <laughs> and lambast uh, in in hindsight. But uh, for now, uh, even though maybe it's a, a little unfounded, but also it's not it's not entirely unfounded to to have a little bit of hope because Dortmund can beat Mainz and they can beat Cologne and they can beat Leipzig and they can beat Stuttgart and they can beat Wolfsburg. I don't know if they can beat Bayern, but uh, Bayern, apart from that seven one win against uh Salzburg haven't looked too great either so maybe because I think um, Bayern will play 
if they make it this far in the Champions League quarterfinal uh, right after the, the Dortmund game, uh, I was hoping that it might be wedged in between, but unfortunately it's not. Um, but maybe, uh, you know, they get a high-profile opponent, maybe they play against Liverpool or Man City or whoever uh, in that game and then maybe have to, to focus their resources a little bit more on the Champions League because, A, that's what they want, and B... Um, you know, I think Bayern doesn't have the ultimate depth this season to really uh, play at 100% uh, in, in both competitions. You know, I, I think the current Bundesliga results have, have shown that, that, uh, you know, they can really crank it up for one game, but other than that, it's it's a little rough. <laughs> you know, obviously opponents still need a little luck that uh, they have, that Bayern have poor finishing, but if you look at the Hoffenheim game, Hoffenheim also could have won this game. You know, there were a couple of nice chances by, say, Brun Larsen or Kramaric or so, who could have, you know, finished a little bit better. And even Frankfurt had an excellent chance if Kostic had squared it to Knauf instead of trying to shoot himself. You know, this game also could have finished one all. So, um, you know, why, why, why not have hope for now? Um, I, I think that's a... That's a good approach, and uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm glad you're here, Matthias, to uh, support me in in, in my uh, hallucinations. <laughs> why not? So, why, yeah, what, why not? The worst why not thing, us? <laughs> I mean, honestly, the worst thing that could happen, Dortmund win it. I mean, like, it, it, against the odds or against the belief or whatever. I mean, oh, no, we're first, or oh, no, we're second in the Bundesliga. And then you turn around and look at the dumpster fires in Stuttgart and Hertha and so on, where you're like, well, we're definitely not them. Um, yeah. Or Schalke. Matthias, can I, what, while we're here, can I tell you my favorite Felix Magath story? And I know I've <laughs> said it a million times. <laughs> time but now that <laughs> No, no, what is it? No, my, my favorite Felix Magath story is, and you can, can look this up, and I, I think I've even written it down in my book. Um, but... Um, my favorite Felix Magath story is he was hired by FC Schalke in the 2010-2011 season. And when he was hired, he said basically that he wants to win the Bundesliga with Schalke by the year 2013. And so this became maybe like a, like a moniker that Schalke have a four-year plan of winning the Bundesliga title. And guess how many times Dortmund won the Bundesliga in within Schalke's four-year plan of winning the Meisterschaft? It's twice. So that's my f favorite Felix Magath story, who came to Schalke as the, the, the big Bundesliga guy, you know, who was won it with Wolfsburg and who was won it with with Bayern and now is supposed to make the same title contender out of Schalke and just at that moment Dortmund completely eclipsed Schalke and became the second biggest force in Germany and Schalke right now we all know it they're playing in the second division and are struggling to even get a promotion so Matthias that is my favorite Felix Magath story because it just encapsulates the hubris at Schalke 04 and their little hopes and dreams that go eternally unfulfilled. And yeah, uh, that's that's all I wanted to say. Yes, it's, yes. It's glorious. I know. So that's my favorite Felix Magath story. You know, forgot all about the medicine balls and all that crap. <laughs> it's the four-year plan <laughs> that worked so well that Dortmund won it twice. So um, yeah, uh, moving on. Um, the Bielefeld game was an interesting one. Even more interesting is that Dortmund got their third clean sheet, if I recall correctly, in uh, 
the fourth Bundesliga game. So in the last four Bundesliga games, believe it or not, Dortmund actually only conceded one goal, which was in Augsburg. Um, and uh, even more interesting is that Dortmund did it with a back line <laughs> that consisted of Felix Passlack, Nico Schulz, Emre Can and uh, Pongracic. And the reason for that, Matthias, is... And it's the reason that makes me really happy to say is this the whole team, especially in the first half, first of all, they cut out the bullshit. There were no harebrained errors for once, and I'm really appreciative of that. Um, but more importantly, I thought the whole team was co cohesively fighting. And um, I'll be honest, I'd rather watch a team of mediocre Dortmund players battle at 100% than the team of highly capable Dortmund players battle at 50%. And to me, this Bielefeld game was bliss just because of that. You know, Dortmund did not have the best players available on field and that did not matter because they just outworked Bielefeld. And to me, that was, uh, I don't know, it, it's just like sweet honey. You know, Felix Passlack and Marius Wolf combining on that right side, having overlapping runs time and time again, no matter whether they're actually receiving the ball or not, just making the run just to offer something and just to be in the opponent's face. As soon as you lose the ball, to me, that was delicious. And um, yeah, I, I thought it was an absolutely galaxy brain chess move by uh, Marco Rose to sit Julian Brandt on the bench in order to facilitate this kind of game, even though it wasn't the prettiest win. And at the end, Dortmund really, uh, you know, could have conceded <laughs> like a classic Favre, Favre season type goal, but it didn't happen. Dortmund prevailed and I'm happy. You know, it's I. Uh, it's funny when we talk about how amazing it was to watch Felix Passlack and Marius Wolf combine on the right-hand side for Dortmund and not say that with irony. Um, I mean, I thought Felix Passlack had a great game. I thought he did really, really well. Um, Pongracic did okay. Uh, I thought Emre Can played very well. I thought he was completely hard done by the ref twice. <laughs> I mean that last mid dive that, was really I mean that blatant. was such a blatant dive. He didn't touch him. I mean he pulled out. I mean that's the thing he pulled his leg back and the guy just accelerates himself into the air and then there of course was the foul near the corner flag near the end where both players are pulling each other and you know uh John's arm actually got held but the foul was against him. I think at that point the referee just decided I'm going to call a foul against Emre Can. But he was extremely, extremely um, professional and under control in this match. Uh, and maybe that's because he knew he had to be because he was the cover. He was the cover for everybody. And so he can't he can't make a mistake. Uh, Colbert, I thought, was okay. He had some, some butterfingers once or twice, but overall he was pretty good. Axel Witzel, where I always internally make the joke, you can't spell back pass without Witzel. <laughs> um, he actually had progressive passing, not much, but, but there was, um, not progressive carries, but progressive passing occasionally. Um, I mean, uh, he actually had, uh, two progressive passes, which is usually more than zero. Uh, then he's, you know, he's not known to be a progressive ball carrier or passer. Uh, but overall I thought they did okay. What I found, um, and I learned that there's a Leonard Maloney in the team, 
never heard of the guy <laughs> and that he's American. Cool. Uh, but what was interesting was Donya Malin, I thought, played really well. I mean, yeah. and he had that one extraordinarily vicious shot uh, just out of nothing. I mean, it was like Marco, Marco Royce, I always, Marco Royce, Erling Holland are two players that just have incredible power that they can generate in a shot without needing, you know, a run up to the ball. It's just right out of their foot. And I didn't know Daniel Malin could do that. And he did it. And with tight space, and that was vicious. There was no chance for Ortega in that situation. Uh, so unfor- unfortunately, are, are you happen. are you talking about where he rattled the crossbar? Yes, yes. Um, because I mean, he was he was covered. You know, the defense had done their job, and he just generated so much power from that. That's usually something I associate with Marco Reus, who's very known, very well known for generating an immense amount of power without needing a lot of space. Um, the other thing I thought was, uh, kind of, I, I don't want to say unfair from the commentator team was they were bemoaning how poor Dalton were in buildup and possession. Well, yeah, what this game highlighted is that Dalton's possession, the linchpin in it all is the defense. I mean, when you have players like Guerrero, Hummels, and Akanji, all of which can build up and you have none of them. And your main build-up player is Emre Can, who is a good passer of the ball, but not from that position. It's a completely different style of build-up play. Yeah, of course Dortmund's build-up play in possession isn't going to be as great. That's that's natural. Uh, to belittle it as much as they did, I thought was a little unfair. It felt a little piling on. Um, I'll be honest, I feel bad for Nico Schulz at this point in time because it's just painful. Uh, the amount of times when if Dortmund lost possession in defensive buildup, it was at least seemingly a hundred percent of the time through Nico Schultz, either through <laughs> yeah. a bad pass or a horrendous touch, and coupled with bad positioning, and that even though they were you know also a decimated side in, in Arminia Bielefeld, that they weren't able to. Uh, take advantage of that with players like Hack and Vima, who I actually think are pretty good players. Uh, and then, of course, in the end with Klaus, where it was just lump the ball to the big guy uh, tactic. Uh, I, I think that's where Bielefeld will kind of kick themselves, that they weren't able to capitalize on that more often. But when Dortmund was able to get it out of their defensive transition, Dortmund dominated. They played much better than Bielefeld and constantly and consistently put them under pressure. And obviously, once you brought in the fresh legs of Holland and Reina for the tired legs of Azad and Malin, who both played well, um, then it just, you know, it was uh, Dortmund in an attacking sense. It was surprising to me that Dortmund didn't score at least one more goal at that point. Yeah, I think there were a couple of counterattacks that Dortmund just really weirdly gave away, where you had a, like a to- yeah. two-on-four yeah. uh, situation and... Um, uh, I think uh, one pass by Marius Wolf wasn't great, you know, and one obviously I feel like sort of in the back to Erling Haaland where he then still managed to somehow find Giorena, but his shot just went wide. Um, yeah, I think... Can, can, I make a, can I make a note there real quick? Yeah. An observation note I had, there were, in my mind, I can think of two, it may have been a third one, where Bellingham was carrying the ball 
and he had an overlapping run from Schultz, who was wide open, and did not play it to him. Uh, that was twice he didn't, and once he did it so late that the, yeah. it all fizzled out. And to me, given what happened a few weeks ago, it just shows that Jude Bellingham has zero confidence in Nico Schultz. That's what that is. If that was Guerrero on that left side, he would have played the ball. I guarantee it. But he has zero confidence in that player and as such wouldn't play the ball, which is an issue for me personally because Nico Schultz was playing. He was the guy who was there. You need to play that ball because the end result was still nothing. There, it would have been a better situation. I think that's... that. That's I maybe, you know... Uh, also, sofa psychology a little bit, but that it just was obvious to me in that moment. Yeah. Also, if I may add, I think you should always play the ball to Nico Schultz to make that run because if you watch the tape of uh, his glorious Hoffenheim days, this was uh, his main strength. You know that Julian Nagelsmann concocted a whole system in order to get you uh, Nico Schultz open on the left side. And then slightly cut inside and maybe cut it back or just cross it, uh, you know, a, a cross goal. And uh, for Hoffenheim, that yielded a lot of success. So obviously, Nico Schultz right now is not in rhythm. And, you know, some of his touches are just so crap that I totally get the frustration. But I feel like, you know, just just try to go at it again and again and, and, until it works out. You know, I... There are, I think, some positives to say about Nico Schulz in this game because I thought he had some really good turnovers uh, that he forced himself out of Bielefeld where then Dortmund had adventurous positions. I thought he, he at least worked hard. Um, you know, you've already pointed out all the, the negatives about Nico Schulz, but I don't think it, it was an entirely forgettable performance on the no, opposite. I not thought, at all. I thought it I was quite en encouraging. So... um. Obviously, we're grading him on a curve a little bit, um, but uh, and and that's sad to say about the 25 million euro signing. But um, it is what it is at this point, and I'm I'm glad with anything that Nico Schulz does that isn't entirely horrendous. So um, that is sort of my expectation level right now. Um, and yeah, I, I I guess I'm 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 glad it worked out that way, and I'm glad that uh, we can say it this way because Arminia Bielefeld, let's be honest, they were attacking wise entirely crap. Uh, I think Kreuterfurt had uh, more going for them when they played at the Westfalenstadion than what Bielefeld actually put on display. Because yes, they had this one uh, counter-attacking move where Nico Schulz lost the ball and then Pongracic got uh, nutmegged and whatnot. Uh, but the final ball on on from Bielefeld was just entirely atrocious. And um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about that, but Dortmund were also just really lucky to be handed an opponent that just couldn't attack to save their lives. So uh, it's, it's almost funny, I'm sorry. But uh, yeah, Arminia Bielefeld um, are known for their defensive cap capabilities and not their attacking output. And uh, we saw that very much on display. So we obviously have to take Dortmund's clean sheet with that pinch of salt. But, you know, nevertheless, it's a clean sheet. Dortmund didn't fuck up. And uh, that's uh, good enough for me for now. <laughs> so I'll take that. Um, one note I have, and, and maybe toward the end of the game, why Bielefeld sort of became 
uh, more dominant and Dortmund played kick and no rush, <laughs> basically just punting the ball back to Bielefeld. Um, maybe it was smart because Bielefeld didn't really create much out of that, to be honest. Um, yes, they had a couple lumps, but you know, even a team like Bielefeld can get lucky, have a weird deflection and all of a the sudden they score a goal just like Augsburg did in the previous game. Um, and it is um, that we can see that Haaland and Reyna are very much out of rhythm. And uh, I mean, when they came on, Dortmund had a couple of good counterattacks, as we previously mentioned. But I also felt like Dortmund's work rate dropped off quite significantly. Um, and that, I think, is a complement to Daniel Marlin's development. Because uh, if you compare his workday versus the one of Erling Haaland, who for the most part just stood around and was waiting for other Dortmund players to create something and he wasn't really, you know, anticipating much. You know, he didn't make many runs before Dortmund, uh, you know, were in a position for, you know, to actually advance the ball, you know, where he would just move defenders and stuff like that. He didn't really do that. Giorena did a little bit, bit better, but I still thought that... um. Hazard in that case had a bit of a better ball movement. I think the the biggest break of the game then obviously was when man of the match Marius Wolf and winning goalscorer Marius Wolf uh, had to come off with a neck injury and uh, Julian Brandt came on. Uh, and yeah, Julian Brandt was involved in a couple of nice attacking moments as well. But I think those three substitutions um, and you know even add Maloney for for Paslak later on. I think they just changed the structure of the game. Uh, quite harshly in in uh, the disadvantage for Dortmund, where Bielefeld then ha just had more control of the game, and uh, it's it's something we just need to acknowledge that it happened, um, because uh, that's what we do here on the Yellow Wall Pod, uh, and uh, just hope that going forward this improves. I think Mario uh, Mario's wife, uh, Marco Rose at the post game press conference or maybe at today's news conference, I I don't remember, but he definitely said that uh, it was quite visible that both Haaland and uh, and Reyna did not have much rhythm and that it will take time for them to, to regain it. And I may, maybe this English week will help in that regard. I, I hope that they will play maybe 30 or 40 minutes or 45 minutes or so uh, against Mainz tomorrow. And then uh, we'll see how it goes against Cologne. Maybe, maybe they can play even an hour or so. I don't know. Um... But uh, that all being said, um, I think there's a, there's even maybe a case to be made for sticking with the team as is right now and nursing Haaland and, and Reyna back slowly because A, you don't want to produce another injury and B, um, I said at the beginning when we talked about this game, I just really enjoyed the, the work rate of this team. And if Dortmund can actually consistently replicate this, which obviously is a big question mark, but if they can, I'd rather have that um, for now than an out-of-rhythm Haaland. But obviously, there's the uh, pair. You, you obviously need to have an in-rhythm Haaland because it's more worth than anything else. So um, you still need to find a way to, to get him going. Um, but uh, yeah, those are my somewhat conflicting thoughts, Matthias. What are yours? I agree. I mean, it's hard to expect much rhythm from Gio Reyna this season since he's pretty much missed it. Uh, Elling Holland has also been gone for a while. So, you know, it, it was good to have them come in. Uh, 
what was interesting was I felt that um, a lot of the danger that came through Reina and Holland was also made possible by Bielefeld maybe giving them a little bit too much respect in that situation, uh, backing off a few times, uh, thinking of people like former Borussia Dortmund youth player Amos Pipa, uh, you know, just being caught in poor position a few times once those two players were on the field. But yeah, I, I, I agree with you that it's something to keep an eye on and... Now it's just a matter of having them get that rhythm. I think there are easy enough opponents to build up that rhythm toward for then the games that against very difficult opponents. Leipzig and Bayern, I'm thinking of specifically, in terms of that are just really, really good teams. Uh, no disrespect to Köln and Bochum, both very good teams. Both have obviously given Dortmund a run for their money this season, as well as plenty of other teams. But, um, you know, these are still the kind of matches where you would hope that they gain some rhythm. I'm also hoping, and I don't know if this plays into it uh, for Erling Haaland, I can't imagine that it doesn't, given that he's still such a young player, is obviously his future is still very much up in the air and in doubt. Um, you know, reportedly the driving seat now is with Manchester City, which is, of course, the club where uh, Holland's father played, uh, which is kind of the place I personally always kind of saw him going because of the family ties and money is not an issue for them over uh, Real Madrid. I I'm, I'm hoping I saw Patrick Berger put out a tweet today saying that there should be resolution soon. And I would just hope that that happens because then everybody knows and you can just move on and get get on with it. And I think that will also help him free up his headspace because he's still a very, very, very young player. And this, I believe, naturally has some impact there. Yeah, uh, I I agree with that. I, I think you can actually, like at least on Twitter, uh, sense a lot of discontent towards in quotation marks, Team Haaland by now, because there's a Haaland news story, a new rumor, daily or almost daily, and I think it's just starting to get really on everyone's nerves by now. I think Dortmund fans have really had it with this nonsense. And obviously, when Haaland was signed and when everyone realized how great he was, that, uh, you know, it was always going to be like that but uh, even though when it is like that it still be very annoying <laughs> so I can 100% uh, empathize with everyone who is just you know hoping for uh, a, an announcement and a Haaland to move on and to not have to deal with these transfer rumors 24-7 I can totally understand and uh, yeah so in, in, in that regard um, yeah I'm just uh, really hoping to see um, you know how uh, how this pans out, and I really hope you know we have news on that sooner rather than later. Because you know there's a fixed transfer sum anyway. You know there's no haggling going on from Dortmund's perspective. It just really comes down to when Haaland is uh, finalizing that deal. So um, yeah, that's all I will have to say. That um, now I guess we can look forward to the Mainz game, Matthias. Um, which is an interesting one because if you look at um, the the 
projected lineups on Kicker, <laughs> you will say you will see that uh, first of all, Mainz are without Huck and Core because those two players are suspended uh, with uh, yellow cards, which is very good news for knees, ankles, thighs, anything of that sort uh, of of Dortmund players because both of these players. Uh, especially Dominic Core, um, like to foul. So, um, but other than that, on Mainz, it just says that uh, there were 14 players that tested positive for COVID, but Mainz did not release their names. So nobody actually knows who will be available on Wednesday and they cannot seriously project anything. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, meanwhile, as we're recording this, I think Ronach just... Uh, um, reported that Mats Hummels will be back with the team. I think Marco Rosa said today that uh, after, you know, testing negative for COVID, he would probably be included in the matchday squad, but I'm not really expecting um, him to play just yet, just because, A, you need to be careful with that stuff and, and B, you know, he might not be at 100%. So uh, Dortmund might have to stick to Jan uh, and Pongracic for the time being. Now, it's going to be sort of a mystery game because on on the one hand I really do rate Mainz um I think that they can really make life hard for their opponents I think Leverkusen were their latest victim um where uh, Mainz just really outfought them uh, and I think turned the game around in the end I think it was a 2-1 win or so and you know it was just Mainz being a, a typical Mainz side and, and just hammering their opposition with, with pressing and just good old hard work and then uh, out of that, you know, create the space they need to, uh, you know, get the results. But obviously, if Kicker can't really preview anything, I am not seeing ourselves in the position to preview anything. So I, I guess... Uh, Maybe mines are in shape, but I feel like if they had 14 positive cases, um, and uh, we've seen it now very often that when players come back from from a COVID break, um, that they need some time to actually get back to fitness, you know, because those players probably couldn't really train in that time. And uh, yeah, so I'm hoping as it's evil that it is that they're uh, not in the greatest shape and uh, don't cause Dortmund too many problems. That's all I can say about this game because I desperately want Dortmund to win tomorrow and have the narrative TM <laughs> with the title race <laughs> going on. I don't, I don't care how 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 corny it is, but I, I, you know, I'd rather have it than not have it. So here we are, Matthias. I agree. I mean, um, I if I remember correctly, a big amount of those players, uh, or not a big, a, a chunk of those players have actually tested negative now and are back. But we don't know who it is. If I read correctly, uh, it will be some kind of reserve or very, very backup goalkeeper uh, is one thing that I swore I read that it definitely won't be um, uh, Sentna in goal. Uh, uh, Bo Svensson also said mm -hmm. that He's likely to not play the players who tested COVID positive for COVID That's just true. because of the precautions. That's something I read. <laughs> so I, I'm, I, I like how we're like puzzling this all together now. At the end of the day, Mainz are going to have a significantly weakened side, no matter how we throw it together. What that team is going to be, you mentioned Hack and Koa not being there, nothing to do with COVID, simply to do with the fact that they're dirty freaking players. Uh, sorry, 
physical players. Sure. Um, even though don't want to show you can be you can have a physical player without constantly getting booked. Um, I understand that's difficult when you're on the edge and so on, but be that as it may, they will have a kind of thrown together team. Dortmund will have a thrown together backline, but at least they did play together already. Um, yeah, and, and have the confidence of a clean exactly. sheet. Something. So, I mean, honestly, Bielefeld, who I think was also missing six of their regular starters, uh, Mainz with a you know, thrown together squad. You couldn't have asked for two better opponents at this time, given that Dortmund has no backline to speak of. Um, so as such, yeah, I mean, bring it on. I, I feel confident <laughs> that Dortmund <laughs> are going to win this one. Uh, maybe a little more confident than I was going into Bielefeld's game, uh, but that's also because I'm a Münsteraner and Bielefeld is just a personal trauma. But uh, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Tomo's going to win this, and they're going to be the best team of the Rikonda so far. Yeah, uh, I I agree. I I predict Tomo winning this three to one. That, that's my prediction. I think that Tomo will uh, um, just be a bit more clinical in front of goal because if you look at the Bielefeld game and um, not the Augsburg game, I thought that um, you know the. The offense was there. We haven't even talked about the whole uh, penalty controversy where uh, the referee gave a penalty for this weird handball deflection with never in a million years was a handball, and I'm glad VAR took it away from him, but uh, at the same time, VAR could have said, you, you know, Marlon got shoved there quite blatantly. Maybe take a look at that. I don't know. But, um, yeah, back to Mainz. Um, you know, if Dortmund win this game... It's going to be a really nice feeling for five five minutes, but my worry really is about the Cologne game, if if I'm really honest, because to me Cologne are a very dangerous team because with Modest they have a player who can make very much out of very little, and uh, Cologne are a very hardworking team as well this season. You know, it's uh, amazing what Stefan Baumgart has has. Uh, done to this team it's quite transformative i i remember you millions of years ago um talking about him i think when he was still at paderborn or so uh, as a potential uh, dortmund coach or so um but uh yeah i'll be i'll be honest i'm i'm a bit worried especially because of how dominant cologne were in the uh, previous game where um i think there was the first clean sheet or league clean sheet of the season, and that was the most undeserved win that Dortmund got. <laughs> so I feel like uh, Cologne have uh, have have written down this one a bit as a revenge game. I don't know if you want to preview it or not, but I don't see myself sitting here again on Thursday. But maybe we will do that. I don't know. But uh, still, um, I'm I'm a bit more scared about this game, even though I just talked about uh, hopes of a title race and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, they just beat Leverkusen one nothing, um, which is... Uh, yeah, I mean, we can get into Köln. I think with Mainz, we've said everything we can, given that we don't know who Mainz are going to be <laughs> fielding. Uh, I think a 2-0 victory for me. I think another clean sheet is coming, and I think Malen and Holland are both going to score. As far as Köln, I, I share that with you. It really comes down to, is Hummels going to be fit again or not? 
Um, I, th I think both Hummels and Akanji should be available yes. for that game. And then that changes the dynamic completely. Uh, if both players play, I feel more confident, uh, especially if then you're getting more more minutes in uh, with Reyna and with Holland, so that you can give other players more breathers and a little bit more time. I don't. I didn't check and see if there was any feedback on the knock from that Marius Wolf took. I'll be honest. No, it's not. It's not terrible. Um, so he, he is available. Yeah, and I think um, you know having him in there either right away or backup. I I think then Dortmund's going to be in a more uh, in a stronger position to challenge and defeat Köln. And I do believe Dortmund will beat Köln if, and this is the if, we don't know right now, you know, but if Hummels and Akanji are in your back line, uh, be it then with, okay, I don't know who at your left back, probably Nico Schulz. I'm not sure who at the right back, maybe Felix Paslak, uh, which is okay because I thought Felix Paslak actually played well. Or you put Marius Wolf in there. I don't know. It depends on... Uh, how Köln are lining up, but then beyond that, in midfield and in the attack, uh, given more fitness and time for Holland and Reyna, then, yeah, I think uh, Dortmund have every chance in having a good match against a difficult Köln side and winning. Um, we also can't forget that Leverkusen suffered the shock, of course, during the game of the Florian Wirtz injury, uh, which ended his season. And, and the Frimpong and injury. The, exactly. That. Exactly. Both are season-ending injuries. That's huge to try to compensate also mentally, especially when you're talking about two starters, one of which is a generational talent. Yeah, and I think Patrick Schick, who right now also plays like a generational talent for Leverkusen, is also uh, semi-long-term. I don't know if it's season-ending, but I think he has a muscle injury, which at least sidelines him for a couple of weeks. And obviously, if you look at the the stats of uh, Patrick Schick this season, they're uh, on a similar level to Haaland and Lewandowski. So, um, yeah, you know, obvious, obviously, obviously Leverkusen, you know, that's a huge blow for them. And, you know, talk about Dortmund being safe uh, in the Champions League spots. I don't know how uh, that applies to Leverkusen, obviously, uh, have a nice cushion themselves right now. But, you know, if they continue to lose games like this and I mean it is Leverkusen after all you know they are the the personified bottlers so maybe they fall out of the Champions League ranks you know I, I one can only hope that Freiburg somehow squeezes in you know if this ends with either combination of Leverkusen and Leipzig or Leverkusen and Hoffenheim or Hoffenheim and Leipzig it's just gonna be sucky and so I have to hope that Freiburg gets that Champions League back Yeah, so we'll we'll see. I think I think the game against Köln is going to be extremely entertaining to watch um, and nerve-wracking as a fan, entertaining as a neutral. I think it's a game that Dortmund are going to win. I have absolutely zero confidence in a clean sheet, um, but I do think Dortmund are going to win that one, and I'll actually go out and say Dortmund are going to win that one 2-1. to one. Yeah, it's either going to be 2-1 or 3-2. I feel like Dortmund will win this if they win it by one goal and it's going to be a chaotic game and I feel like all recent games where Dortmund played in Cologne have had some level of drama. And uh, so, yeah, I'm not. I'm really not looking forward to this game because I know it's going to be 90 minutes of suffering in front of the TV for me. <laughs> 
and I just really hope that Dortmund, who have not really been great on the road this year at all, manage to to pull it together a little bit. And you know, there are a couple of things we obviously need to talk. And one is that there are more and more fans back in the stands, and the, what kind of a dynamic that will add to the rest of the season. I I think uh, March twentieth or so is is the golden date or so when uh yep, stadiums are correct. full again. That should be the Cologne game, right? I haven't. Obviously, I'm so well prepared that I have not checked whether this game will already be a sellout or not. But how awesome if it were, because that means that Dortmund's active support then are, is also back in Cologne, and that also easily six to eight to ten thousand Dortmund fans, depending, um, you know, on on You're how right. many people are still winning. Because usually, when Dortmund travels to Cologne, there's always a big amount of Dortmund fans there as well, just because a it's near Cologne, uh, near Dortmund, and there are a lot of uh, Dortmund fans also living in the Rhineland. And just, you know, there's a, there's a nice friendship between uh, Dortmund and Cologne, and it's, it's, just, it's just a fun Bundesliga game. You know, I'm always looking forward to the games against Cologne because Cologne are a great club, and, uh, you know, I don't really have any uh, anything bad to say about them, you know, and the, 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 the fact that they just beat Leverkusen makes me even more happy because a it you know means that Leverkusen are further away from Dortmund and b you know it's it's good for Cologne and I want to see Cologne succeed so there's that just not this Sunday. Yeah, yeah, and that's it is on the twentieth and it is the top spiel in the evening. So if that's a full house in Köln at eight thirty. <laughs> That's going to be fun. 7.30, right? Uh, no, it'll, it's... Oh, yeah, 7.30, sorry. Um, that'll be... That'll be fun. That'll be a lot of fun. You know, the floodlights on, full stadium in Köln, Köln against Dortmund. You know, I mean, you think floodlight game, Köln, Dortmund, uh, the first thing I have to think of is Nuri Shai, Lukas Podolski. So, <laughs> um, hopefully, it's the same result at the end for Dortmund then. Um, which was a, I want to say it was a 2-1 or 2-0 victory. It was definitely a victory. So, uh, yeah, hopefully. That was a 2-1 win. Yeah. So I'm going to go 2-1. scored and then Shine yep. shot against his own foot in yeah. the, in stoppage time That's and right. then had a knee slide right in front of uh, Lewandowski while... Uh, Lewandowski. Podolski. Podolski while, while shoving him. Different Polish yep. name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then Weidenfeller yeah. ran up to get in between them. Yeah. Uh, by yelling at Podolski, which was kind of funny. It was a Weidenfeller move. Uh, I miss him. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to say another Dortmund 2-1 victory in the floodlights. All right, so um, we've been on the air for an hour now, uh, but there are two questions at least. I, I do want to um, quickly you know, squeeze in here. And uh, the first one is from uh, Ed S. Fershi, and he or she asks, what position is in the most need of repair slash upgrade in he's or she's in between the six and the center back uh, for next season? So, Matthias, I, I think we also have a question from Crank Corgi, um, who asks, uh, do you expect a complete squad overhaul and rebuild this summer? Or is it even possible given the situation with the finances of the club so let's maybe merge these questions together and um because the answer is yes i do expect a, a very big overhaul but obviously um that always comes with the asterisk of what is feasible and which players are willing to leave because if you want to get rid of players and they are under contract they have to agree 
uh, to be gotten rid of, basically. You know, I think there are, for example, uh, rumors right now that Torgen Hazard is looking uh, at a move to the Premier League because he is not entirely happy with his, uh, um, you know, situation in Dortmund, which I can understand. So, um, Matthias, let's let's answer this question because I th- I think it's an interesting one because de facto there needs to be transformative change and I think Sebastian Kehl has said as much. Um, but at the same time, if there isn't transformative change, uh, which are the top priorities for Dortmund to address? Obviously, you need to replace the striker. Yeah, yeah. There's this guy from Norway who's supposedly going to leave for seventy-five million uh, at minimum. So there's money there. So that's that's that that would be the number one need. Okay, to immediately replace that. And ideally with a 1A and a 1B replacement, uh, kind of a, a look into the future. And now that could be bringing Adeyemi, who can also play on the wings, uh, plus another like Patrick Schick type striker. <laughs> Beyond that, a, a six, I don't know. Um, I, you know, I, <laughs> when, when ideally he's not having to play center back, you know, you can move an Emil John in there with, uh, a Modahud, and and I believe it it works, and I think it works actually quite well. It's not a priority position for me. Zula coming in, obviously, we can't forget about that. That's a huge deal, especially since odds are that Akanji is going to go. Um, if it's thirty between twenty five and forty million, you also reinvest that maybe into bringing in Schlotterbeck. If you bring in Schlotterbeck, that means, in my opinion, you have to move Zagadu, which I'm totally fine with. But for me, the priorities, given that Zula's already coming in, and we're going to say a given that a striker's coming in, priorities are the fullbacks. I'll be honest. That, for me, given the importance of fullbacks in the modern game and also in a Rose-type system, if he plays a narrow system, uh, be it with a back three with wingbacks or a 4-4-2 diamond, you need reliable, good fullbacks, wingbacks, whatever you want to call them. Um, I don't want, don't have that on either side, in my opinion. Uh, I think Thomas Meunier has had a significantly improved season, but he's a very limited player. Uh, Mathieu Moret, uh, it's too early to tell, and I still have major questions there. On the left side, okay, Nico Schulz, um, and then Guerrero. Guerrero is a playmaking fullback defensively, you may as well have Nico Schulz out there. I mean, it's just he is not a good defensive player. So in my opinion, you need to upgrade your fullbacks. You upgrade those fullbacks, then you already have a significant improvement in the side. Yeah, I think you're really making great points, but I completely disagree. (laughs) (laughs) Even even though I think you're right, um, but... I'm actually more with Fershi because if I can pick and choose, I would, first of all, I would, like, the, the, the first order of business, if I was the sporting director or whatever at Dortmund, I would just give Emre Can the freaking pass and please leave because I know you like him. I ugh, cannot stand Emre Can and it's... Not about his personality. I'm totally fine with the person, Emre Can. Just as a footballer, I don't think he helps Dortmund at all. And, for you know, he's made, first of all, too many mistakes. 
you know, he's too error prone and I don't see enough upside to be really in love with the idea of having him permanently as a um, midfielder. And the, the other thing is, and, you know, maybe this is a surprise to some people, me saying this now after the much improved season he had, is uh, Moda Hut. Because I feel like more often than not, he goes AWOL now. And I think Dortmund do need have to have dominant midfielders. Um, and, you know, in, in terms of the destroyer part, I think Bellingham can f fulfill that. You know, he is someone who who at least crashes into tackles. And uh, I prefer that. Obviously, he still has to improve himself. But uh, I have a hard time uh, not seeing Jude Bellingham as the future of this club right now, given his trajectory. And so um, I, I think that Dortmund needs... Uh, a player that's a even a better playmaker than Moda Hood, and b I think Dortmund also needs a player that's also a bit more aggressive and just a little bit more smarter in, in, in the defensive scheme of things because Moda Hood gets overrun too easily as well. You know, Moda Hood has a nice level of aggression here and there, but I still think that does not make him a good defensive player. So, um, and I. I, I agree with your uh, point about fullbacks needing mending. Yes, desperately Dortmund need to address this issue. But I think that, um, you know, if if you have a dominant fullback pairing and a double pivot that can actually maybe stay healthy, which is a big ask right now, obviously. But if, if that's the case, I, I think that helps you more than, than uh, a set of good fullbacks. You know, obviously you can upgrade every and any position and Dortmund have a lot of uh, ailments right now where they need to upgrade. You know, if you look at uh, the performances of Julian Brandt, I don't know if that's a marriage you want to uh, continue long term. And obviously Torgen Hazard maybe wants out, maybe Dortmund also wants him out. You know, you obviously need another player that can dribble and win one-on-one -on -one duels you know this could be theoretically the, the be the future of Daniel Malen because he's shown he can do that but at the same time you need at least one more player who can do that on the other side of the field um so yeah there are a lot of things hence the answer to whether there will be a complete overhaul um is yes there should be but I think uh we have to be realistic and say that it's not all going to happen in one transfer window and probably don't want us smart to address rather the fullback positions um, than, uh, than the, the, the midfield position. I don't know, but uh, that's just my personal take. I think if we can unearth another Ilka Gunuan type of player or so, uh, then uh, that would help Dortmund quite a lot out you know it's obviously sad that Dortmund miss out on uh, Zakaria I think this would have been a sensible transfer um but uh yeah if 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 I if I could uh make decisions myself I think uh better defensive midfielders would help full stop so between the two of us, we are overhauling eight of 11 positions cool Pr pretty much yeah <laughs> That, that's what an overhaul yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, it, it answers it. And I agree with you that, um, and this is really, please, uh, don't want Twitter. If you could do me a favor and for just two seconds not think of real football as a FIFA game or a football manager game 
or that don't want to have despotic blood money at their disposal, um, <laughs> that this will take more than a transfer window or two, especially because the January transfer window is always crap. So, I mean, two summer transfer windows it will take, especially if you're keeping an eye on people like Zule, who's coming in, someone like Schlotterbeck, and then a transition out of Hummels. Uh, that that just, uh, just takes a little bit of time in that regard. And then in that time frame, you may also be looking at uh, Marco Reus near the end um, and Togan Azad obviously then being gone. I think he'll be gone within two years. So, uh, you know, he's 29 here soon, I think. So it's it, it, it does take a little bit of time when you don't have uh, evil people money to play with. Yeah. I mean, Dortmund also need to phase out Mats Hummels, you know, and all that. So there, there are just a lot of things on the list on the table for Sebastian Kiel. So I think Dortmund right now can really count their lucky stars that despite this being a injury-laden season and Dortmund not playing really an amazing brand of football and that Marco Rose has shed the bet in cup competitions that despite it all, Dortmund are really secure in second place right now and can at least count on that sweet, sweet Champions League money because if they could not, considering all the financial drawbacks and cutbacks they had to endure due to COVID, um, and that's something we probably need to address and we probably need to have a guest who can, you know, talk a bit more extensively about the financial uh, side of, of Dortmund's transfer window, um, then, yeah. I, I just think we're really blessed that uh, we can right now still uh, clutch these title hope straws and, uh, you know, not have to, like last season, really, uh, you know, be scared that Dortmund finish in, in fifth or sixth place, which, uh, you know, it looked like it was going to happen for a long time before that really magical run with uh, Eden Tessic toward the end of the season. So, um, yeah, Matthias, uh, we'll just say we, we are blessed and let's just hope that Sebastian Kiel is uh, doing a good job with the advisement of Matthias Sommer until, what was it, 2025 or so, the extension of Mr. External Advisor. So, um, yeah. Lots of things to still talk about in the coming weeks and months. So um, I'm glad for that. And uh, I hope we'll be back with another episode either this Thursday to discuss the Mainz game and then preview the Cologne game even more in depth or we'll just uh, be back after the Cologne game and then reassess <laughs> how our title hopes <laughs> are, are going. So uh, Matthias, once again, thank you for coming on. Everyone out there thank you for listening and obviously uh thank you for uh you know sticking with us uh, while we were gone uh, and asking when the next episode is that's always appreciated so um yeah matthias uh, if you want please tell our listeners where to find you on the internet um i don't know if we need to make predictions for the cologne game i think we have done so yeah we already did we already right, did so um you can find me on twitter at matthias zuk Wonderful. And you can find me at Stefan Butzko. You can follow all of us at Yellow Warpod if you want to contribute to the show financially and uh, ensure that there will be more episodes in the future at all. Uh, go to patreon.com slash the yellow wall if you want to sponsor an episode, get a shout out, whatnot. 
uh, you can find all the information there. And uh, yeah, if you also want to subscribe to our YouTube channel, be my guest. Uh, I'm also rendering and uploading the episodes extra for people who prefer that. That's all from us for now. Goodbye.